Hello and welcome. These are some sermons given by Monsignor Rosito from the years 1995 to the year 2016. Enjoy. Today is Passion Sunday, and the epistle is taken from St. Paul's letter to the Hebrews. Brethren, when Christ appeared as high priest of the good things to come, he entered once for all through the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made by hands, that is, not of this creation, nor again by virtue of blood of goats and calves, but by virtue of his own blood into the holies, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkled ashes of a heifer sanctify the unclean into the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ who through the Holy Spirit offered himself unblemished unto God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And this is why he is mediator of a new covenant, that whereas a death has taken place for redemption from the transgressions committed under the former covenant, they who have been called may receive eternal inheritance according to the promise in Christ Jesus our Lord. And the Holy Gospel is taken from the Gospel according to St. John, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. At that time, Jesus said to the crowds of the Jews, Which of you will convict me of sin? If I speak to you the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear is that you are not of God. The Jews, therefore, said in answer to him, Are we not right in saying that thou art a Samaritan and hast a devil? Jesus answered, I have not a devil, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks and who judges. Amen, amen, I say to you, if anyone keep my word, he will never see death. The Jews, therefore, said, Now we know that thou hast a devil. Abraham is dead, and the prophets. And thou sayest, If anyone keep my word, he will never taste death. Art thou greater than our father Abraham, who is dead? And the prophets are dead. Whom dost thou make thyself? Jesus answered, If I, glory, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say that he is your God, and you do not know him, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, I shall be like you, a liar. But I know him, and keep, I keep his word. Abraham, your father, rejoiced that he was to see my day. He saw it and was glad. The Jews therefore said to him, Thou art not yet fifty years old, and hast thou seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Amen, amen, I say to you, before Abraham came to be, I am. They therefore took up stones to cast at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out from the temple. So far are the words of this day's holy gospel. And this is why he is a mediator of a new covenant, that whereas a death has taken place for redemption from the transgressions committed under the former covenant, they who have been called may receive eternal inheritance according to the promise in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
It is words taken from the epistle of today's Holy Mass. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. My dear friends in Christ, last week I mentioned one of the proposed pieces of legislation that is being pushed for licensing parents before they could have children in the United States. I was given a copy of this uh, legislation proposal and I would like at this time to read a very short synopsis of its contents. The article says, the December 1996 edition of the journal Society contains a symposium on the subject of licensing parents. A symposium is a gathering and meeting to discuss a particular subject. Included in the symposium on this totalitarian proposal were Dr. Jack C. Westman of the University of Wisconsin-Madison, author of Licensing Parents, Can We Prevent Child Abuse and Neglect? And Professor David T. Lichen of the University of Minnesota, author of the Antisocial Personalities. Westman and Lichen are the most prominent advocates of a system of parental licensure in which parents would have to be certified competent by the government before being permitted to raise a child. In his society essay, Lichen writes, quote, I will testify in support of a parental licensure bill to be introduced at the next session of the Minnesota State Legislature. The only sanction or enforcement proposed in this bill for unlicensed parents who produce a child is periodic visits by child protection caseworkers who will do an annual audit of each child's physical, social, and educational progress, unquote. However, Lichen asserts, quote, Minnesotans and their legislative representatives will eventually recognize the need to take one further step. That step, I suggest, should be to take custody of babies born to unlicensed mothers before bonding occurs and to place them for adoption or permanent care by professionally trained and supervised foster parents, unquote. Nor is this the last step that Lichen would take towards the abolition of parental authority by the state. As is reported in William Norman Griggs' Are You Fit to Be a Parent? The December 17, 1994, Minneapolis Star Tribune reported, quote, Under Lichen's system, if children were born to unlicensed parents, the state would intervene immediately. Licenses should be checked in hospital maternity wards. Unlicensed parents would lose their children permanently. Adoptions would be final and irreversible, unquote. Furthermore, according to Lichen, quote, repeat offenders might be required to submit to an implant of Norplant, a surgical contraceptive, as a way to keep them from having another baby for five years. Now, we live in unreal times, and these things are taking place. We live in a protected rural area to some degree. We don't come face to face with these issues on a personal basis, but we hear about them and we read about them and we know that they are taking place somewhere and eventually they may become the realities that George Orwell in his book 
1984 where the serfs or the slaves of the state will love Big Brother who enslaves them, makes them work but protects them and provides for them and this seems to be so contrary to the very nature of the freedom that America has promised the world in a democratic environment. But as I pointed out to you, we are not really officially under God. The Declaration of Independence mentions a creator, but the Constitution does not. And so we are a nation of laws. It is the law that dictates what is right and what is wrong. Even when the law is wrong, it is enforced because we are a nation run by laws, not by God's laws, but by a human conjecture of a general kind of thinking that uh, is produced by excesses in the freedom that is not under God, but apart from God, free from God. And so we see then that when there are deviations from the creation of God or his divine law, these deviations, which are sins that can be more easily corrected at first, proceed into perversions. And these perversions then are justified in the minds of those who commit these evils. So what is presented here then is a perversion by or of law. It has not been passed yet, but eventually we can see the trend that not only in this area, but in all other areas, a greater and greater tyranny is taking place in our country. We see lands confiscated. We see people thrown in jail, their children taken because of so-called child abuse, punishing them, rightly or wrongly. That parents see this squeezing hand taking away from them their authority, their uh, rights to be taken over by superstate. The state is not wrong, but who runs the state? We also discover that evil cannot produce good and good cannot produce evil. It's as simple as that. So the next question then, well, who then in the state is good and who is bad? But if we are not under God, by God-fearing legislators or judges or police or military, then the danger is that they will take over the power that increases. Like it is said, fire is a humble servant. When out of control becomes a fearful master. And it is true that when we are not controlled by the power of God to limit us, then like that mass of energy that small though it be multiplied by the square of the speed of light, 186,000 miles per second times that number again goes into the billions that a little piece of material when exploded by releasing that controlling force destroys everything in, in the vicinity. We've seen that with the atomic bomb, with the hydrogen bomb, how a little bit of material can create such havoc. And so we can then project that into the spiritual life, into the mental life. When there is no control, then it becomes a destructive force, a fearful master. Evil cannot 
produce anything but evil. And it multiplies when evil people run the government that they produce a increasing uh, destructive power and force. And we need then to know not only the principles, but the facts as they occur in the newspaper, as they are being planned years and years ahead to be ex exercised down the road in history to limit us more and more, to make us these slaves, which in the chaos of the times will then look grateful to, to, gratefully to Big Brother to supply us with our needs and the protections that we can otherwise, not otherwise have. So we see these gangs that create uh, fear in the minds of neighborhood peoples, families, and we look to the government to step in and take control. And what they're doing is they're putting these gang members into boot camps to train them. Have they straightened out their morality, their goodness uh, to be productive, or are they still the hidden destructive forces that will then become the tyranny that invades our neighborhoods with official sanction? Now, these things can take place. Whether they will take place remains yet to be seen, but it's in the very nature of reality. So we don't uh, condemn people just because we don't like what's going on. It's in the very nature that evil will produce more evil, and tyranny will take away whatever freedom that remains and subject us more and more to becoming slaves of Big Brother, who is not a good brother. Now, I say this by way of preface to the lesson that we come next under the fourth commandment concerning duties, not only of parents, but of other superiors. In lesson 104, duties of other superiors. Now remember that all that I said by way of preface is to temper some of the ideal statements made in these next two lessons, duties of superiors. Because when they are doing their duty under God, we can accept the teachings and the lessons that we are told to be obedient and uh, to be dutiful and to be contributory to the system of government that is in place under God. But we cannot be um, fools, foolhardy, in thinking that we are under God and therefore these things are taking place. Our Lord said, watch and pray. Not just pray, but watch, to be informed, to be observant, and to know the signs of the times, because the times are evil and becoming more and more so. And what do we do for ourselves, and especially what do we do for our children and our grandchildren? These are the things, therefore, that need that we know and that we apply the principles. And it's not to retaliate with force against force, because both then will be destroyed but to learn how to survive in the midst of evil. Because evil will destroy itself. And the survivors will be those who remain because they remain good. You cannot destroy truth. You cannot destroy goodness. But everything has within itself the potential for its own destruction. And so our Lord told St. Peter in the garden, put up your sword, for he who lives by the sword will die by the sword. Or uh, he who lives by his wits will die by his wits because he will do himself in. Each one is his own worst enemy. So we need the guidance, the enlightenment of God and the strength of God and the power of God to be good in spite of the evil around us. And so we reduce everything in our efforts to three words. Do no evil. 
If you do evil, then you become evil. And evil will destroy. But if you do no evil, then you will be good, and goodness will preserve you, and you will survive. And you will be able then to produce good that will overtake the evil that will be taken away, will no longer exist in time. So survival, and our Lord says, run, hide, exist as best you can under the circumstances. In the Old Testament, we saw how the Jews were persecuted. They were not allowed to bury their dead. And anyone who was caught burying the dead was imprisoned or punished. And they had to steal the bodies by night and bury them at night when they would less be likely to be found or seen. So they were persecuted even in the Old Testament in the same pattern, the same recipe that exists for all times. We have more sophisticated weapons and technologies today and therefore it's more difficult to hide by night. But nevertheless, the key is we don't fight them. We learn to survive in spite of them and to do God's work. And if we must die in the process, our, our salvation is assured. Our Lord died in the process and he rose again from the dead. And he promises us that he will raise us up again too. And that's the key then to our hope that doing things his way under God, though it limits us and exposes us to being victimized, nevertheless, survival, the key will then preserve us beyond the destructive period when all evil forces then will be destroyed by themselves. And we will remain because we have remained good, not with the sword, but with the grace of God and with the knowledge of God. So, First question, what are the chief duties of those who hold public office? Now notice um, the answer. The chief duties of those who hold public office are, first, to be just to all in exercising their authority. Secondly, and to promote the general welfare. To be just. You know, Pontius Pilate asked Christ, what's truth? He might ask, well, what is goodness? Or what is justice? In fact, these were the very key questions that the early philosophers puzzled over. After Egypt came the Persian Empire, and after the Persian Empire came the Greek Empire. And it was these Greeks who thought through some of these things, like Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle, the three great minds, all living in consecutive contemporary times. And they... Uh, question, well, what is beauty? You know, we talk about things being beautiful, but for you, this may be beauty, and that, for another person, that may be beauty, but what is beauty in itself? And they began to tear apart these simple ideas to ponder into the very essence and the nature of thought, and that's what philosophy was about. And so we, too, ponder, well, what is justice, to be just to all in exercising this authority? There's human justice and there's divine justice and God tells us my ways are not your ways my thoughts are not your thoughts the ways of God are not the ways of men and uh, we therefore have to find out well, what are God's ways and this is what we do in religion in our Catholic faith we try to ponder what does God tell us the world tells us a different story. We're born into this world, and this is the world that is taking control of us from childhood, from the cradle on. And then we grow up and we learn our catechism, and we have to really, as mature Catholics, rethink the basic problems and questions of life and to redo our education. 
Now, some are out of step with others. Some are very immature. They may be old, but still immature in their thinking. Others may be very thoughtful and very young, but still wise. And it's this unevenness that makes living today or at any time difficult because we're not all in step. But those groups that do come together and think alike and act alike are in step and they will find a peace and a <coughs> harmony that is productive of further good. This is what life is to be under God's redemptive plan. Not perfect, but it's in the right direction for the perfection that will eventually come with the resurrection of the dead and the final judgment. But what are the duties of those in authority in the meantime, in this imperfect world? To be just in the administration of their duties and their authority and to promote the general welfare. A father, mother of a big family can't just favor one child, but has to consider the whole family, all the children, and their future. So they make decisions sometimes that might be on pleasant for one child or make another child unhappy, but the parents have to see beyond what the child can see. It hasn't grown yet, hasn't been experienced. And of course, in, in government, likewise, in society in general, we need those who are wiser with the wisdom of experience and understanding of principles and to apply them for the general well-being, even though here and there someone may suffer for the benefit of others. So this is the general plan, then, of those who hold public office, their duties. Public officials have a grave responsibility. Not something that you get as a cushy job. Uh, you want to uh, lever lever leverage yourself into some authority so that you get a big paycheck. No, they have a responsibility. A grave responsibility before God. Imagine parents with a small number of members of the family. Then what about a superior in society who has all of society, all the families and all the children? then correspond that by a multiplication of responsibilities to see how serious their public office really is. The higher the post, the greater the responsibility. Legislators, members of the cabinet, judges, all office holders, everybody from the lowest to the highest will have to give a rigid account to, uh, to God of all that they have ever thought, said, or done, or omitted. Every law passed every vote given. Now these are not just words. Uh, these are realities. And whether the people who are in office take them seriously or not or even give it a thought at all, they're going to have to stand before God who then will say, you were supposed to do just things and to be fair and to concern yourself with the general welfare, the physical well-being of families and you took advantage. You were unjust and you did not promote the general welfare but your own welfare or that of your little inner group and you are going to be condemned accordingly. You say, well, who can be saved? Good legislators, good statesmen, just judges, uh, executives who carry out the law with the propriety befitting their circumstances, they will sa be saved. But those who abuse will not. They will have a grave responsibility to answer to. Quote, a most severe judgment will be for those who hear, uh, who bear rule. That's from the Book of Wisdom. Severe, most severe judgment. Those in high office should regard it as merely committed into their care for a short time. That is authority. 
for a short time. No one should, get, uh, should strive after a position of authority which he is not competent to fill. Now there's a rule by St. Thomas Aquinas for students. Don't, think so, don't seek something beyond your ability. Now you may want to be a chemist, but you can't even add numbers. How can you work out formulas? It's beyond your capacity. So too, if you're not competent, then you should not seek an office that demands a competence you don't have. That's logic, but it means repressing any wayward emotions or desires that go beyond what your capacity is. There's some people who are wealthy, they can go to college, but they don't have a brain. And they waste their money and they spend their time and accomplish nothing because they should do things with their hands that they have the capacity for. So in guiding your children, for example, see what's in them, what their talents are. You didn't put it there, they're there by God's grace and the combination of genetic inheritance. And so this is the road that most likely is open for them because they can fulfill these duties. It may not be very uh, dramatic, but it will be successful. One who aspires to a dignity, to the duties of which he is not, uh, is not uh, to which he is unequal, is like a baker who tries to man an airship. Imagine a baker flying an airliner. <coughs> if, however, a person feels himself competent and is willing to accept the duties of a post, it is good for him to endeavor to obtain it if thereby he can contribute towards the welfare of others. So to have a positive attitude. What can I do to help? What am I capable of doing? And then measure that out to the office that you try to fill. Sometimes people are given authorities by those who don't study the capacities of their underlings and they put them in a position where they're going to do a lot of damage because they're not competent. So there's this political authority that sometimes is misplaced. We have authority by the fact we have capacities and uh, competences. Nobody gives you that authority. It's right there because you are able. And political authority sometimes finds people who are not able. But they are given the authority, and the authority is exercised often to hurtful outcomes. So we want to find the right person for the right job. And those who are wise in government will seek men or, or women who are capable to fill these jobs properly. And when they misjudge, then they have to redo their thinking and their choices uh, as a follow-up to correct any mistakes in this regard. One on whom honors and positions are conferred should have as his principal thought the accomplishment of the duties connected with his position. So it's a burden. It's not a privilege. It is a privileged burden but it's basically a burden and a responsibility that has to be considered in that light. He must not think much of himself on account of the honor. It makes him no better in God's sight. So you can be a saint as a slave, as a king. You could lose your soul as a queen or a king or as a slave, depending upon what your moral life is. What are, you, what are you in the sight of God? That's the thing to consider. Not what you are in the sight of men or even in your own estimation, but what are you before God? And that will keep you humble and that will keep you operating with the right spirit to serve God through serving others in this life. All ideal, but nevertheless real at the same time. 
Virtue alone gives a man true worth and distinction. You're not a very good ball player. The question is whether you can hit the ball or not, whether you can sink the basket or not, but what kind of a good person are you as a player or otherwise? That's where your dignity lies. Herod was a king. Mary and Joseph were poor laborers. But Mary and Joseph now are very near God, and surely Herod is not so near to God. Whosoever wishes to become great among you, our Lord says, shall be your servant. Turned around. Maybe man's thoughts are turned around, and God's thoughts are correct. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Even as the Son of Man has not come to be served, but to serve God himself. Public officials must set a good example because they occupy a conspicuous position and because example is better than precept or command or teaching. And with the public medium, uh, media, the newspaper, television, we have high profiles of certain people that have high offices, whether they're in the government or in the entertainment uh, business, we see them again and again. Now, many more people who are more talented, perhaps, or better morally, are never even mentioned, never even heard of, never even thought about. But they are what they are, where they are. The higher you are, the more virtuous you should be, at least by the good example you give. Officials do more by their example than by their orders and regulations. It's true of parents. It's true of anyone in a position of authority. Like a city seated on a mountain, public officials cannot be hid. Others quickly imitate them. The rock and roll uh, dope addict uh, uh, entertainers, uh, they draw children to their imitation, to be like them. And good people in the 30s and the 40s who were paragons of virtue, at least in the movies, drew people to imitating them, to be heroes, to be um, upright good people. Movies have changed, songs have changed, morals have changed, patterns have changed for our young people, and we don't know what to do to help them. What a, responsi what a responsibility before God is it for an official to lead an immoral life and thus corrupt numerous young people by his bad example? What a scandal it is for an official to be the first to break the law. And we have all kinds of scandals coming to light that were hidden for a while but now are being pulled into the limelight to the disgrace of the officials and to the uh, chagrin of good people and to the imitation of others. Say, well, they can do it, I can do it too. Monkey see, monkey do. How should public officials promote the general welfare? Public officials should promote the general welfare by safeguarding the rights of all with, of course, you know, some who for the general welfare will have to suffer, passing good and just laws and enforcing those laws impartially. Now, sometimes people have friends in high places and they get off because of this friendship or benefits because of membership in certain organizations, but that's unjust. But it goes on. Interesting themselves in the spread of good moral customs and religion and punishing evildoers. Now the evildoers are being rewarded and the good people are being punished. See the inversion? 
diversion, perversion, inversion. And we are the criminals. In fact, in this article I read from, the people said their parents are criminals and have to be have their children safeguarded against them. Being the representatives of God, public officials should imitate his justice. The common good, not the benefit of a single person or group, should be the object. A good sense of moral propriety. Civil officials should be ready to sacrifice themselves for the citizens. Christ, the good shepherd, laid down his life for his sheep. Officials must be impartial, fair to everyone. They must show favor to none, but treat all equally, rich or poor, prominent or unknown. St. Paul says, with God there is no respect of persons. Judges must beware of acting unjustly or of allowing themselves to be corrupted by bribes. They must not let the rich and powerful induce them to give unjust judgments. Acceptance of bribes by public officials is a sin against the seventh commandment. God made the little and the great and hath equal care of all. Now, these are the way things are supposed to be. And this is what we promote, but we know the picture is different. What do we do in the face of this? Public officials should particularly provide for the welfare of the poor and helpless, the destitute, the sick, the orphan, and the great body of the working classes. They should oversee the care of people in general. Those less fortunate citizens often have no power to protect themselves. They have no money, they have no um, tools, weapons, or anything. They just are open targets. The laws and rules must be, therefore safeguard them without, however, injuring the welfare and rights of others. So it takes a wise judge, it takes an executive that can be prudent in exercising his responsibilities. Unfortunately, with the dumbing down of America, education has gone astray, and the morals corrupted by the public media, those who are increasing in number are degenerating the whole system of society. Officials have a serious obligation to, prom to promote the Christian foundations of our Constitution. Well, I think there's an error here because it's assumed that there are Christian foundations, but it's Masonic in the sense that uh, a, a God of whatever choosing you make is your God, but is not going to be favored because of separation of church and state. They should work to make Christian principles prevail in a Christian country. Remember Pope Paul VI unilaterally, on one side only, on his side, rescinded the concordance of Catholic states to promote the Catholic religion. He took that out. What does it say? Officials have a serious duty to promote the Christian foundations. He took them away. What do we say? It creates a great question in our minds. They should work to make Christian principles prevail in a Christian country, safeguarding education, respect for the Lord's Day, marriage, and so on. Is this America? No. What do we do? We have the responsibility in ourselves to know and pursue these goals at the price that we may have to pay to do so. Remember, evil will fight the good, will eat off of the good, because it cannot provide for itself. Good provides, produces. Evil abs absorbs and destroys. So we will become targets one way or another sooner or later. 
What are the duties of superiors in general? Now we're talking about others. In general, superiors must provide for the spiritual and material welfare of, of those over whom they have control. Employers should be considered their inferiors, their employees. They must not oppress their employer, employees, nor keep back their wages, nor exploit them in any way. The heart of man is inclined to evil from youth, and in every department of life there is the openness of exploitation. We need to fight that by ourselves, personally, by a duty to God. And if we're not under God, then God help those who are under us. Oppression of the poor, the widow, and the orphan, and defrauding laborers of their wages are sins that cry to heaven for vengeance. Some employers make their people work in unhealthy and overcrowded rooms. They hardly give them any time for rest and for their meals. They require of them more work than they can do. Exploitation. How much literature, especially um, uh, Charles Dickens, wrote about in England in his day. Employers should give their employees a living wage. That is enough for them and their families to live on decently. They should allow them ample facilities for fulfilling religious duties. They should look after their health, watch over their morals, attend to their religious instruction if they are Catholics. And uh, we can see that this should be, especially by Christian employers, for their subjects. What does the fourth commandment forbid? The fourth commandment forbids disrespect, unkindness, and disobedience to our parents and lawful superiors. These are the things little children struggle with. Disobedience, fighting with brothers and sisters, being unkind, disrespectful. Disrespect includes all irreverence and stubbornness against lawful authority. What do you call policemen today? And what did the police do in retaliation? They become um, protective of themselves, more so, and perhaps then fight with undue uh, retaliation. Violence begets violence. One offends against the respect due his parents when he talks back to them, refuses their correction, ridicules them or strikes them. This happens. One who thinks and acts as if he were superior to his parents is a disgraceful snob. For even if a son or daughter has graduated with highest honors from the best university in the world, he still owes his parents due respect as God's representatives. As I said, we were taught as children in a former time, 30s and 40s, respect your elders, whoever they were, whether you knew them or not. They were your superiors because of their age and under God were owed respect. Contempt and unkindness are contrary to the love we owe our parents. One offends against the love due his parents if he curses them, despises them, hates them, grieves them, or makes them angry. Not to be ashamed of your parents. Children at times speak sharply and insultingly to their parents. Well, they're children and you forgive them a lot because they don't know much better, but they still are doing wrong and they have to be corrected. But in reference to God, as representatives of God, we should recruit 
Uh, we should recoil in shame before doing this. Even if we were only to think of what our parents have done for us, the continuous and unending sacrifices they have made, we should burn our tongue out before we speak contemptuously of them. Children don't know what it's like to raise a baby. The sickness, the care, the feeding, all these things, the child doesn't know because it can't remember until they become parents. Then they remember what their parents did for them. Perhaps too late to thank them or show them the kind of gratitude. But remember, children, your parents have taken care of you when you don't even know what they did for you. And give them that return of your love and respect, even though you may know more than they do because of your education. In the book of Leviticus, the Old Testament, he that curseth his father or mother, dying let him die. That's quite severely punished. Finally, children may sin against obedience either by refusing or neglecting to do what is commanded or by doing what is forbidden. Showing unwillingness is also a form of disobedience. So you can see how important it is to start a child from the cradle with this love, this care, this appreciation, this kind of surrender to the knowledge and uh, decisions of parents because they do know better and they take care of us for our welfare and even when they make us eat our vegetables it's for our own good rather than to punish us uh, because we think that that's what it is. A young child is disobedient if he neglects his studies, goes with forbidden companions, goes out without permission, and so on. Older children disobey by attending forbidden shows or dances. That was in the time when that was about the height of it. Going out with forbidden companions or at forbidden times, concealing their earnings from parents, and so on. Well, the fourth commandment is the first of our duties in regards to others. The first three are to God. The next seven are to those among whom we live on this earth. And highest in this list of seven is the authority and respect we owe to our parents and the obedience that we give to this commandment. Top of the list then for uh, living with people in our families and in society in general. So whatever you have, Remember that Christ has given you a high ideal. And to study the poverty, not the riches and the wealth of the world, but the poverty of Christ. Uh, not the authority that he had over the devils and over all, but the service that he gave. This was top of the list. And when we look at Christ, we look at the prime example of what a Catholic should be, what a human being should be if he were only Catholic, and what authority he exercised over the devils, but serving people, driving the devils out. And so that good would come in where evil departs. And this is what we try to do in our own selves, to bring good where evil exists, original sin, to cast it out by faith, hope, and charity, knowing the revelation of God, understanding the rules of God, and then living them by virtuous living, fighting our own selves, the world, the flesh, the devil, to be this kind of image of Christ who redeemed us. And so it's not inappropriate to then consider uh, the uh, epistle uh, of uh, this Sunday. Brethren, brethren, when Christ appeared as high priest of the good things to come, he entered once for all through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made by hands, not human, 
nor again by virtue of blood of goats and calves, the Old Testament sacrifices, but by virtue of his own blood into the holies, having obtained eternal redemption. And this is why he is a mediator of a new covenant, that whereas a death has taken place from redemption from the transgressions committed under the former covenant, they who have been called may receive eternal inheritance according to the promise in Christ Jesus our Lord. So Christ is our Redeemer, Christ is our model, Christ is our source of enlightenment and strength to do as he did, to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. So parents, may God bless you, may you be worthy of the dignity, and children, may you likewise be blessed in the obedience that you give to them, because one day it will be your turn to be good parents as well. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen.